In the interest of safety, we do not have an audience. And we sent home our cast, most of our crew. But I came here from California. And if you think I was going to fly 3,000 miles and not be on TV, well, you got another thing coming. And I am not alone. Isn't that right, Tina? here and this is not the smallest audience I have ever performed for because I have done improv in a Macy's. Good to see you, kiddo. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming. I'm extremely disappointed. Oh, yeah, I know, buddy. Uh, Look, it's not all that bad. People Magazine just named you the most sexist man of the year. Oh, I think it was uh, sexiest. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Saturday Night Live with a significantly modified Christmas show on Saturday night due to the spread of the Omicron variant. Without a live audience featuring taped sketches and past holiday favorites, Tom Hanks and Tina Fey kicked off the evening and introduced host Paul Rudd, his fifth time hosting SNL. It was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I enjoyed it a lot. Tom Hanks, of course, hilarious, saying I came all the way from California <laughs> and I'm not going not gonna to stop this. And, right. and uh, he also bragged about starting the Five Timers Club there, being a host <laughs> five times. And Tina Fey said, hey, you know what else you started? He goes, what? COVID. COVID? <laughs> so it was Aww. actually talking about making, uh, doing the best they could. With uh, with difficult circumstances, they certainly did that. Absolutely. And you had quite a weekend yourself, didn't you? I had quite a weekend. Yes, I was actually visiting my brother, um, help working with him, getting ready for Christmas, yeah. and you got uh, a phone call, didn't you, Saturday morning? I did from you. Why well, exactly? Yeah. So telling me that the man in the house where I was had just become an ambassador. So at 4 a.m. on Saturday morning, um, my brother Mark, along that's, with... That's not Mark. <laughs> that's, that's Rom. That is Rom. He also, he but, too became an ambassador. Congratulations to Rom. Rom. Absolutely. Uh, going to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, but yeah, your brother Mark Brzezinski, who in 1991, Mika, full circle, yeah. 1991, he actually went uh, to Poland uh, after... Uh, the the Iron Curtain fell, and he actually did studies on constitutional law in Poland and the development of constitutional That's law right. in Poland. We're looking at him pictures here. Was his ambassador uh, in Sweden? But uh, you know, it's really come full circle, hasn't it? In in one sense, for your brother who was there in 1991, and 30 years later, he's going back actually at an extraordinarily critical time for Poland uh, and, of course, for this country, especially in relationship to Russia, but also uh, for your family. What yeah. an extraordinary, I mean, your it, family, t- t- tell that story. Circle. It's full circle. It's a generational moment to have my father and his family, you know, flee Poland uh, during the rise of Hitler. Um, you know, I, I put on my Instagram a picture of my dad and his brother when they arrived at Ellis Island. I mean, it, it's incredible. Um, so they, they, they left un, un, under very difficult circumstances. Warsaw was demolished. Um, and their home was destroyed. And my dad and my mom spent their entire lives working 
to not only promote democracy around the world, but to celebrate living in a democracy. Yeah. And um, my father always wished the best for his homeland. There was a time after he served as national security advisor um, here in the United States that maybe he should go back and run for president. And there was lots of talk about Brzezinski's coming to Poland. And now uh, it looks like a Brzezinski is coming to Poland, although it's a yeah. lot to get our arms around. Yeah. We have a lot to figure out. It's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah, it's well, a beautiful know, moment. Your, your, your father, uh, many people, uh, David Ignatius is with us. David, uh, a lot of people in 1991 uh, had talked about Dr. Brzezinski possibly going back and serving in Poland, and he was vetoed <laughs> by Mrs. Brzezinski, who said, yep. no, you had your time. My I'm turn. Gonna, but uh, you, you were dear friends with Dr. Brzezinski, and uh, we, we uh, forgive, uh, forgive our viewers for us indulging in this for one moment, but you were such dear friends with Dr. Brzezinski, I know you certainly have a lot of thoughts on Dr. Brzezinski, who left Poland under duress during the rise of Hitler, to come to this country and spend his entire life fighting against totalitarianism, uh, and now his son going back to the country of his birth to represent America. A, a story that's so powerful, uh, this process of a uh, brilliant uh, young man coming to Canada, then to America, serving our country so powerfully, his son returning to Poland uh, to represent the United States um, and bring his own wisdom and clarity to the really difficult policy choices we have now. But I'm just thinking of the, of the Brzezinski family, uh, Mika and Mark and Ian uh, and their mom, uh, just with all the pride that a family friend would feel. It's a wonderful day, Mika. Mm, thank you very much. Also with us this morning, the host of Way Too Early and White House Bureau Chief at Politico, Jonathan Lemire, professor at Princeton University, Eddie Claude Jr., and NBC News senior Capitol Hill correspondent Garrett Hake joins us this morning. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. After we have a lot to talk Ooh. about with Garrett. Whoa. And After uh, the entire team. Months of negotiations, Senator Joe Manchin, the linchpin in the 50-50 Senate, said he will not support President Biden's Build Back Better plan, effectively killing the $2 trillion social spending proposal in its current form. In an interview on Fox News Sunday, the West Virginia Democrat cited the debt, inflation and COVID as reasons why he is opposed. I've always said this, Brett. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This is, this is a no. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. The president put out a statement Friday saying that you still supported $1.7 trillion. He said you needed more time to finalize negotiations. And reporters asked you about that, and you said the president put out that statement. It's his statement, not mine. So now what you're yeah. saying today makes a lot more sense of why you said that. You're a no. Well, well, Brett, here's the thing. I I've tried. I mean, I really did. And the president was trying as hard as he could. He has an awful lot, a lot of arms in the fire right now. A lot, of, a lot. I said more on his plate than he needs for this to continue. When I'm having the difficulties I'm having, and basically, 
the challenges we have from different parts of our party, basically pushing in different ways. So everyone still has the aspirational things they want to do. They said, well, can we still make this fit? We'll just cut it down to two years versus 10 years. We'll cut this one down to four years versus 10 years or one year versus 10 years. That's not that's not being genuine as far as I'm concerned. A source tells NBC News that Senator Manchin did not personally talk to anyone at the White House or in Democratic leadership before the Fox News interview. Instead, a staffer communicated Manchin's plan about 30 minutes ahead of time. Another source says Biden officials then tried to get in touch with the senator before the interview, but Manchin did not take the call. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki blasted the Democrat, writing in part, Senator Manchin's comments on Fox are at odds with his discussion this week with the president, with the White House staff and with his own public utterances. Weeks ago, Senator Manchin committed to the president at his home in Wilmington to support the Build Back Better framework that the president then subsequently announced. Senator Manchin pledged repeatedly to negotiate on finalizing that framework in good faith. On Tuesday of this week, Senator Manchin came to the White House and submitted to the president in person directly a written outline for a Build Back Better bill that was the same size and scope as the president's framework and covered many of the same priorities. While that framework was missing key priorities, we believed it could lead to a compromise acceptable to all. Senator Manchin promised to continue conversation in the days ahead and to work with us to reach that common ground. If his comments on Fox and written statement indicate an end to that effort, they represent a sudden and inexplicable reversal in his position and a breach of his commitments to the president and the senator's colleagues in the House and Senate. A House a source tells NBC News the president personally authorized Saki's detailed TikTok of his recent conversations with Senator Manchin. Uh, so I, I, I want to get the details uh, from Garrett. I also want to get the details, obviously, from Jonathan at, at the White House. Uh, David Ignatius, I want to start with you, though. Uh, in, in your time in Washington, other than with the last president, who would tweet insults regularly uh, toward members of his own party, the other party, uh, did you find that statement extraordinary, especially when that is a president who's in a 50-50 world when it comes to passing anything anything through the United States Senate. I thought Jen Psaki's statement was unusually uh, sharp and direct. The White House obviously feels a sense of of betrayal, a sense of being blindsided. I contacted a very senior person in the White House involved in these negotiations from the beginning. And he said last night, Manchin's been a dance all year. We get him, we lose him, we get him, we lose him. And the strong thrust of his comments was, this process of negotiation is going to continue. As he put it, Manchin is not going to be a caucus of one in the Democratic Party. I don't know what that means in, in, in detail, but the strong sense uh, of this comment after Saki's uh, was that some kind of dialogue discussion is going to continue. 
but certainly the, the this sense of personal uh, affront. Manchin, he promised us. He's, you know, he goes on Fox and he he breaks what we thought was was the deal. That you could you could just hear the the anger in those comments. But uh, as I say, I'm sharing something that was a little later in the day and a little more philosophical. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Lemire, uh, take us inside the White House uh, and their decision to put out that statement. Obviously, they're going to need Joe Manchin for anything that is passed over the next year. Uh, and of course, I'm sure they were angry. I'm sure they felt betrayed. I'm sure they're completely exasperated with trying uh, to, to nail him down. At the same time, as I said yesterday, you could impeach Bill Clinton on Monday. He would invite you golfing on Tuesday and you'd be working on a bill with him on Wednesday because Bill Clinton always understood there was the next battle, there was the next bill, there was the next victory to be had. I was, I was quite taken, uh, again, not because of Joe Manchin's feelings, just because of the realities of Washington, D.C. I was taken by those attacks and attacks by other Democrats, which we're going to read in a second, uh, which which seems to invite Joe Manchin to become a Republican. Democrats think it can't get worse. Oh, it can always get worse. Jim Jeffords left the Republican Party in 2002 uh, and gave Democrats control of the Senate because of his problems with George W. Bush. So I'm, I, help, help me understand uh, what led to that? And then after that, was there an understanding of the White House that they needed to cool down and figure out a way to restart talks with Manchin? Because with Manchin, it's never over. It's never over. He can say it's over, but there's always another deal to be had. They can uh, chop up this plan and pass the, the plan uh, piece by piece. I mean, there's always another deal with this guy. Yeah, this was really uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic, particularly for this White House. First of all, we have a president who is a former senator who has been very respectful of the process, saying, look, my former mm -hmm. colleagues need the time to figure this out. They need to eventually figure out a way to get uh, to yes. It's also a team of aides in the White House that's really prized itself on keeping its head down and its, its focus on the mission and not be distracted by outside noise. And I think that goes to show just how angry they were. Uh, this was a deeply personal statement, and it mentions that the, it mentions Joe Biden's home in Wilmington. It mentions the fact that Manchin personally gave his word uh, to Joe Biden, his longtime friend. The two men get along well. And there was a reflective of a sense of betrayal here that, yes, as to David's point, it's been a dance. And they, they have feel like they have most, some moments and not others. One of those moments they thought they had him was earlier this week when Manchin came to the White House, as we've reported today, uh, and, and it sh it talked to Biden, shook the president's hand and looked and said, look, here's a deal I can live with. And it's about the same total cost about 1.8 trillion. To be clear, there are some components that needed to change, but it wasn't a full rewrite. And the president, as we reported, left that meeting telling aides, he's like, look, we've got work to do, but we can get this done at some point in the first month or two of 2022. We still feel like there is a deal at hand. So from to go from there on Tuesday to Sunday to have mm -hmm. Manchin suddenly be a flat no, and not only a flat no, but a flat no on Fox, felt like it was an angry, digging, you're sort of almost putting salt in the wound there for the president. And that's why Joe Biden was so angry yesterday. Um, there is, is there a concern that Joe Manchin could well, flip? Can, can uh, I stop you there please, for a second, yeah. Jonathan? Please. Can I stop you there for a second and maybe you can respond to this? That's a tell. Yeah. The fact that he went on Fox mm. is a tell. 
and I've read it in other reports too. Uh, and I'll go. I'll, I'll get back to you. But Garrett, let me talk to you about this. Uh, uh, Mansion. Uh, somebody close to Mansion told the Washington Post and others uh, that he was very angry being singled out on Thursday. Hey, we're talking to Joe Manchin, and this is going to be done soon, when Manchin has been saying, and I said this last week, for months, you got to write the language, you got to get it past the parliamentarian, you got to get it past the CBO, you got to get, get past all of these budgeting tricks. Joe Manchin has been hiding in plain sight, and what the Washington Post reported was he was incredibly angry that he was, big because, uh, you know, Manchin, again, nobody's feeling sorry for Joe Manchin this morning, I'm sure. But Manchin has had pretty much 24-hour security around him, death threats constantly to him and his family, a very enraged progressive base uh, focusing on him. And, and he, was, he, he was particularly angry, according to the Post, about what happened on Thursday where Biden said, oh, yeah, 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 we're going to talk to Joe Manchin. We're going to get this done very soon, when again... Manchin's message in public for months has been, this is going to take a long time. We're, we're dealing with the tax code. We're dealing with envi the environmental uh, regulations. We, we've got to get the parliamentarian uh, agreeing on. We've got to do all things that legislatures have to do before they pass bills. And he felt like the White House was uh, putting, base, uh, you know, putting their, their, their thumb on him and pressuring him to move quickly. Joe, if, if, if Joe Manchin didn't like having people feel mad at him this week, wait till he comes back to Washington in January. The, the entire rest of the Democratic Party is furious with him. The Biden statement is one of the most mild statements I've seen from any Democrat when it comes to Joe Manchin. The plan here all along from Chuck Schumer on down had been to treat Joe Manchin with kid gloves during this process. They thought he would come along. They thought he was going to just want to put his stamp on this bill. They thought he might even want to have it go through him like he did with the infrastructure bill. But to pull the rug out at the last minute here, I mean, Joe Manchin's feelings of not wanting to be targeted by all this. Joe Manchin has made himself the primary senator who has negotiated this bill more directly with the White House than any other single lawmaker in Washington. And so we saw that progressive rage come out yesterday, including from members of the squad in the House who said, we told you all along this was going to happen. So now what we're looking at in January is a Chuck Schumer who has held back so far uh, announcing this morning he's essentially going to call Manchin's bluff. He says when this bill is ready, they're going to put it on the floor and make every senator be on the record, not just on television, he adds with a little bit of shade there, but on the Senate floor. They will vote on this bill and then they'll move right away, he says, to discussions of voting rights and rules changes, all things that they would need Joe Manchin's vote for, which just underscores the incredible box Senate Democrats are in right now if they don't want to try to continue to work through Joe Manchin. Many Democrats wasted no time reacting to Manchin's announcement and did not mince words. Here is Senator Bernie Sanders. Well, I think he's going to have a lot of explaining to do to the people of West Virginia to tell them why he doesn't have the guts to take on the drug companies and lower the cost of prescription drugs, why he is not prepared to expand home health care. West Virginia is one of the poorest states in this country. I hope that we will bring a strong bill to the floor of the Senate as soon as we can, and let Mr. Manchin explain to the people of West Virginia why he doesn't have the guts to stand up to powerful special interests. Oh, so you want to vote on it no matter what, even, even if... Absolutely. Absolutely. The American people have got to understand what is at stake. 
The chair of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, wrote in a statement, quote, Senator Manchin has betrayed his commitment not only to the president and Democrats in Congress, but most importantly to the American people. He routinely touts that he's a man of his word, but he can no longer say that. West Virginians and the country see clearly who he is. And from Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota, we have to face reality that Manchin's reckless posture imperils the Build Back Better agenda, but I'm not walking away. From Senator Patty Murray of Washington, Joe Manchin might have woken up today and decided his job changed, but I know exactly what mine is, fighting for Washington state workers and families. From Congresswoman Ilan Omar of Minnesota, let's be clear, Manchin's excuse is BS, adding, quote, this is exactly what we warned would happen if we separated Build Back Better from infrastructure. Congressman Mondaire Jones of New York called Manchin a, quote, tour de force in gaslighting and dishonesty. And from Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, he's continued to move the goalposts. He has never negotiated in good faith, and he is obstructing the president's agenda. And from Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, people can be mad at Manchin all they want, but we knew he would do this months ago. She will be our guest this morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on Morning Joe. So, Eddie Gloud, uh, you have uh, senators from Washington State, Vermont, members of Congress from New York, uh, Brooklyn, uh, attacking Joe, uh, Joe Manchin, uh, and uh, many talking about how he's going to have to explain this to the people of West Virginia. Uh, therein is the rub. The people of West Virginia elected Donald Trump by 39 percent uh, and hold Joe Manchin in high regard, just as the people of Arizona hold Kirsten Cinema in high regard. It may be frustrating for national Democrats and certain members of the media, but those are political realities. So the question this morning is, do Democrats want Joe Manchin to uh, just switch the Republican Party? It would certainly make his life a lot easier, but would also put Mitch McConnell in as majority leader. Well, I mean, there are a host of questions that we have to face this morning. You know, and, and it's interesting. It's not just simply the folk. I mean, we, Senator Chris Coons had something, some very sharp words for Chris Coons as well with regards to Senator Manchin. And, you know, not only the White House not only needs Joe Manchin, Joe, they also need the Progressive Caucus. And remember, right. we talked on this show that the Progressive Caucus, was they were doing everything right. They were, they were right. engaged in the process. Remember where we started and how they continued to move down. 60% of the initial plan was cut in order to meet Manchin a certain sort of way. So here we are in this moment after you had, in, I can even put it this way, after they concede and pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill based on a set of promises, it seems, that now have been, that, that, that Manchin has reneged on. And then you get this statement. This is what's clear, not only about the particulars, but the statement from Senator Manchin that my Democratic colleagues are trying to reshape our society in a way that leaves this country more vulnerable. Right. So there is a fundamental difference here. Right. What is he talking about in terms of expanding Medicare, in terms of child tax credit, in terms of climate change and the range? What is he talking about? So I think you're right in terms of the politics vis-a-vis -vis, uh, West Virginia, Joe. But the state of the country, my goodness, this seems to me not just simply bad faith, but a betrayal. 
And uh, David Ignatius, uh, I have said on this show repeatedly that progressives have been extraordinarily patient through this entire process. They have paid a, a, a great deal of attention to what the senator from West Virginia and Arizona uh, were thinking and tried to figure out how to shape legislation. Uh, and the only way the bipartisan uh, bill got through on infrastructure, uh, got through the House, was a guarantee from President Biden that he trusted Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin trusted him, and if they would just pass the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill uh, through the House, uh, he would take care of Manchin. Um, this puts President Biden uh, in, in quite a difficult position this morning with the progressives in his own party, doesn't it? It does, and I, I think you've gotten to the to the heart of the matter. As we've said often on this show, Joe Biden got elected president as the person who knew how to govern, who knew how to make deals with his former colleagues in Congress, who could get legislation passed, who could move us from dead center and, and make significant uh, changes that were that were needed for the country. Uh, in, in particular, in this case, Biden did offer an assurance to the progressives. Uh, in in the House, if you let the bipartisan infrastructure bill go and let it let it go for a vote, I promise you, I'm going to deliver uh, on the Build Back Better part of your the agenda that you care so deeply about. Uh, and it, you know, I think the anger you saw yesterday from the White House is the president is seen to look like he's not delivering. Again, I, I just would stress, as you said earlier. This is a this is a long process. It's 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 just you know sometimes appalling to watch. But the the word I was getting from very senior levels in the White House is this is a dance that's going on all year. It's going to continue a while longer. We do not think at the end that Joe Manchin is going to be a caucus of one. He's not going to be a, Dem a Republican. He's not going to be all alone. It, it, this negotiation, as agonizing as it's been, is going to continue. But but the, I think the anger is just what you said that it makes the president look like he can't deliver. Yeah. And Garrett, uh, also there's voting rights and that 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 has been sort of pushed up higher on the list. Where does that stand? The same nowhere that it has stood all year is the problem, Mika, to pass a voting rights bill. Democrats are going to need to change the rules in the Senate. And to change the rules in the Senate, they're going to need Joe Manchin's vote. That's what this all comes down to. And it frankly may be the only reason that mm -hmm. they don't just push him to join the Republican conference, where in many ways he might be more comfortable. I think hope springs eternal that Manchin can be convinced that voting rights uh, could pass uh, somewhere along the way. This dear colleague letter from Senator Schumer you're showing now includes a line uh, reminding perhaps just that one senator that it was Robert Byrd who said that the rules of the Senate have to change when times call for them to change. I mean, they have used every lever they possibly can in the Democratic caucus to try to convince Joe Manchin to give in some way on the filibuster on making it possible to change the voting rights rules in this country with a 50 vote threshold. And so far, Democrats have had nothing to show for those efforts. All right, Garrett Haig, thank, thank you, you so Garrett. much. We, we greatly appreciate it. Um, so, um, Jonathan Lemire, I am, this is this is this is one of these moments where I am um, <laughs> I'm flummoxed by Democrats. I understand why progressives are angry. I would be angry too if I were a progressive. I understand that. I, but I, you look back over this year, and because as we've been saying here, 
for months, they have focused on this one bill as a definition of whether they succeeded or not. There are a lot of bipartisan bills that have passed this year, an extraordinary infrastructure bill, a historic inf infrastructure bill, a historic bill to push back against China uh, that passed, um, an, an extraordinary COVID relief bill that passed. And let's talk about what matters the most to a lot of progressives, federal judges, 40 federal judges are on the bench now. This, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you could correct me, I think Joe Biden tied the record for the most federal judges put on a bench in his first year. This is the difference between having 50 senators in your caucus and 49 senators in your caucus. And I'm not exactly sure how the Democratic Party gets to the end of the year and allows themselves to be defined as failures based on the on on the non-passage of one bill, which, quite frankly, can pass in February or March, and American voters won't know the difference come next November. But I, I just I'm I, I am confused by that, and I'm just wondering how does the White House move beyond defining their first years as success or failure based on the passage. Uh, the timing of the passage of one bill. Yeah, it was Democrats themselves uh, hmm. who, of course, set these expectations. And look, President Biden embraced the idea of being an LBJ FDR-like figure with a sweeping government program, changing the relationship between the federal government and its citizens. Uh, you're right. There's undeniable. You listed a bunch of them. Uh, undeniable successes uh, for this administration so far this year. But they've bet big on Build Back Better, as you said. And the political calculus of that perhaps is a mistake. And may, maybe it doesn't matter if in some form this passes uh, in February. But I think the anger from the White House is, in fact, due to that, not just the personal betrayal, but because they have so much riding on this. And this and Manchin's decision to at least temporarily submarine the president's agenda comes also at a challenging time for this president, a president whose central campaign promise was to restore competence to government, you know, to rid the nation of Donald Trump and to prove that government can work for its citizens again, that democracies can still work as an alternative to autocracies like China, that it can deliver. And right now, think of the images we're seeing. We are seeing COVID cases soar. We're seeing incredibly long lines at COVID testing places across the country. Inflation has caused prices to rise. As Garrett just said, there's really no suggestion right now that voting rights is going anywhere uh, because of the, of, of the filibuster. And now we have the president who if you look back, and his aides are quick to point this out, there's a series of accomplishments here. And vaccines are available for anybody who wants them. And it's, it's those who are unvaccinated, who are not Biden supporters largely, who are to blame uh, for rising cases. The bipartisan infrastructure money, that's about to start flowing. Those are good things. But because they've built so, they bet so big on this, and Joe Biden said, I can get this done, and the process has been so messy and hasn't been completed yet, right now, they're staring at a loss, at least temporarily. And Joe, I just wonder uh, if if what you were talking about, about how legislation moves and it's give and take is really the proper response to what we what we saw Joe Manchin do over the past few days. And I guess what I mean is, yes, in the long term, politics is give and take. Mm -hmm. Politics has a lot of different dynamics to it and people express themselves. But Manchin's moves of late to some seem antagonistic. Well, I mean. 
I'm just, I'm, he, isn't that fair? I mean, for some all, to be it, very it, upset? Well, sure, I've, and I've said that. The progressives can be upset, but you know what? Uh, use your inside voice. I am. No, not, not you. Oh. I'm talking about people in the White House who are upset, progressives. Uh, they were, I, never, I would never tell you, dear, to you, use your inside voice. You tell me well, that. there are um, times. But, 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 but uh, David, Ignatius, I've got to go to you. I'm struck again. I'm just struck by the lack of recognition by many here who should know better that it's never over. When you're in a legislative process, maybe Joe, maybe Joe Manchin is thinking, okay, they've cornered me. I don't want to be cornered. I don't want to be the single guy. So let's pull back. Let's start taking these piece by piece. Let's see if we can pull a couple of Republicans in here or a couple of Republicans in there on the child tax credit plan. Romney wants to work with me mm. there. Maybe they're... There are a thousand ways, I guess you can't say, to how, how you skin the cat. That's what my grandma That's would say. That's not what we heard him say. There, there, no, he said no to this bill. I'm just telling you, uh, and David, so I'm going to you, mm-hmm. people in Washington know that, that, that have been in Washington for a while, that uh, there's never a never in the legislative process. Maybe he can't sell BBB to the people of West Virginia in its current form. So let's figure out how to get it in another form. Let's figure out how to get the child tax credit. Let's figure out how to get universal pre-K. And let's do it in a way where the whole eyes of the political world aren't glaring down on a guy who comes from a state where Donald Trump got 69% of the vote. Joe, spoken admirably like a, like a former legislator. I mean, as, as we say here in Washington, it, it's never over until it's over, and even then it isn't over. Uh, and we're seeing right. a demonstration of, of that right now. In, in, in Manchin's uh, defense, he's never uh, strayed from making the basic point that at a time when inflation appears to be an increasing problem for, for our economy, he's going to look very carefully at these proposals. And as he said, and it seemed agonized in saying it on, on Fox yesterday, he just couldn't get there. So there's going to be a new effort to, 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 to work on the concerns that he has. It's not as if you're denied having personal concerns, legislative concerns, if, if you're a, a member of the Senate. So they're going to have to come back and look at this again. I'm just uh, with you, Joe, and thinking that I don't see this process as being over. That's not what I'm hearing from the from the people at the top of the White House. Uh, yes, they were angry, but they described this as a dance, and the next round in the dance is ahead. And I I, I share your uh, belief that at the end of this, we're going to get something, some version of Build Back Better, that's not going to satisfy everybody, but it is going to be something that can pass and and go into law. That'd be my guess. Well, we, I believe we will, too, because, as you said, I love it. In Washington, it's never over till it's over, and even then it's not over. That's exactly the case here. There's a false deadline put in place. We must have this by Christmas. We must have one of the most sweeping bills in the history of the country by Christmas, even though the parliamentarian is still having problem with it, even though we're still having problem with scoring, even though we still don't have the legislative language. Let's get it done by Christmas. That's just not how Washington, D.C. works. That's how blog posts want Washington to work. That's how people who are new to Washington, D.C. want things to work. That's how politicians under pressure from their base want things to work. It's not how Washington works, and that can piss you off. 
I guess it can, but that's how it, that's how things get done. We're going to come back next year and this conversation is going to continue in one form or another. And there are key elements of this legislation that are extraordinarily popular with the people uh, uh, of this country. And yes, with voters in West Virginia, I'm pretty sure you're going to see talk about how getting those parts of the bill passed. It may not be in one massive historic bill where people can run to the top of Mount Olympus and clench their fists and say, yes, this is the end of history and we won. But that's not how Washington works. It's not how Washington ever works. It's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing fight. And you want as many people on your side as you can get, especially if you only have 50 senators from your party in the caucus. All right. David Ignatius, thank you very much for being on this morning. We really appreciate it. And still ahead on Morning Joe, we mentioned Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will be our guest. She says, don't blame Senator Manchin, blame Democratic leaders who made a promise they could not keep. Plus, the other big story this morning, with COVID cases doubling every few days, officials predict a record-breaking number of hospitalizations Ahead, we'll talk about this and ask the question, are U.S. medical systems ready? And a federal appeals court reinstates the president vaccine mandate for private employers. It's just one of the COVID-related cases making through its way through the courts. We'll have the very latest on that and legal analysis. You're watching Morning Joe. We'll be right back. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. All episodes available now. Get the latest updates on this year's high-stakes election with MSNBC's How to Win 2024 newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll get expert analysis on key races sent straight to your inbox, including articles written by the host of the How to Win podcast, Jennifer Palmieri. Subscribe today at msnbc.com win. Oh, Mika, look at that. A beautiful winter sunrise, uh, holiday sunrise over New York City at 641 a.m. The city that never sleeps, the city that never quarantines. Well, the city. Well, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful view. People don't go to work, but they do love to go out. They do love. It's nice. Work at home. Work at home. Go out to dinner. Doesn't make sense. Coronavirus cases in the United States are surging as the Omicron variant spreads across the country. In New York State, more than 22,000 cases of coronavirus were reported statewide yesterday. That's a new pandemic record for the third straight day. Testing sites are being pushed to the brink with lines of people stretching around city blocks and wait times extending several hours. 
But Dr. Ajit Jha, dean of Brown University School of Public Health, argues that while the Omicron variant seems to lead to more breakthrough cases among vaccinated people, hospitalizations and deaths will remain largely among the unvaccinated. And this just in, Moderna said this morning its COVID-19 booster does appear to provide protection against the Omicron variant. The company announced preliminary data from lab testing and found the version of its booster currently in use in the U.S. and elsewhere provided increased antibody levels to neutralize the virus. Yeah, very good news uh, from Moderna. Jonathan Lemire, there is, you, you were talking before about these long lines in New York City. Uh, and possible political fallout for Joe Biden. I must say, though, there are other long lines in New York City. Long lines around the block to see the new Spider-Man movie, breaking records, theaters jammed, packed. <clears throat> you, good luck getting reservations like in, in restaurants in New York City where people want to go to eat. I've talked about the last couple of weeks, Meek and I uh, going out to eat uh, with, with staff members, with friends, <clears throat> with a lot of different people and and just uh, just packed, packed to the gills, as oh, they say. Uh, so it's really a tale of two cities, a tale of two worlds where, yes, you have long lines uh, for people to get tested. And yes, people are trying to get the booster shots. But at the same time, you know, you got people saying, oh, we're going to shut down until 2028. Yet everybody's going out to eat in restaurants without masks. Everybody's going into movie theaters. Everybody's getting, you know, everybody's going to basketball games. Everybody's going to football games. It's, it's, it's a little bizarre, isn't it? Well, first of all, Team Moderna here. So good news about the booster. <laughs> yes. um, but it does seem like we're at a bit of an odd moment here in New York City, Joe Meekin. I will say things have changed a little bit in the last handful of days uh, with the Omicron variant now surging. You are right. People are still going to restaurants. And let's be clear about this. New York City has a COVID vaccination requirement. you got to flash your phone or your card in order to get in. And that is something that more and more cities are following. Philadelphia just announced. Frankly, that should be the norm in a lot of places. And it certainly adds a degree of comfort of people going in there. That's the good news. But we have seen a lot of Broadway shows cancel because of COVID uh, outbreaks. We have seen, of course, what happened with Saturday Night Live. We do have the testing uh, lines or everywhere. It's an impo and it's impossible to go to a CVS or a Walgreens and pick up an at-home rapid test. They're completely sold out. There is real concern about the schools right now. Mayor de Blasio has said they will stay open. <coughs> Parents certainly hope that's the case. Uh, but that is suddenly back on the board a little bit. Also, he said the decision about the Times Square celebration, that's not locked in yet. Uh, that they're going to, in about a week, they'll make a decision to whether that will go forward. Yeah. So certainly there's, there, there's no one is suggesting this is March 2020, but there is a, I will say, a little more degree of worry in the air uh, in the last few days as these case numbers begin to surge. It's going to be a, a balancing act uh, for, I think, a lot yeah. of New Yorkers going forward. I mean, me, I've got to say, if, if you've got both of the shots, <clears throat> if you have the booster, and now especially this morning, if you have the Moderna booster, and you go outside <laughs> Times Square, you're, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm glad we do have a doctor yeah. here. But chances are good. You're, you're, you're not. Uh, well, I'll just say it this way. We'll let, let doctors be doctors on this show. Mm -hmm. um, we just can't shut down our, our society yeah. again. If you've got two vaccines and a booster and people are going out to restaurants in New York City and we've done it several times, Mika, we've done events 
We've had a lot of people around us. We have, we have, we have been in a lot of restaurants. We have been on airplanes. Uh, we're vaccinated. And listen, if people are unvaccinated, uh, you know, uh, and they want to take risks, I've said it all along. People smoke if they want to smoke. I'm not, if they want to smoke, man, that's their business. Let them smoke. They don't want to get vaccinated. That's their business. But damn it, we're not going to shut down this society again because of people who aren't following basic science. Well, that's the difference. That's where we are now, where we all could be vaccinated and and really have a, a fight against this that is profound. But the choices that some are making not to be vaccinated have this continuing. Today's news requires more facts, more context and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 indictment charges, yet he remains the Republican frontrunner. On MSNBC's podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump, veteran prosecutors Andrew Weissman and Mary McCord break down the biggest legal developments and how they could alter the election. Never had a president who engaged in this kind of conduct who's running for office. He is using the criminal cases for his own campaigning. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Joining us now, founding director of the Boston University Center for Emerging Infectious Diseases, Policy and Research, Dr. Nahid Bedelia. She's an NBC News and an MSNBC medical contributor, and I want to make sure, fact check everything we've just said, especially what I just said, that we would be in much better shape if more people were vaccinated, uh, because the problem here is really rampant among the unvaccinated. That's number one. And number two, is Omicron, for the vaccinated, more dangerous than the flu? So, Mika, I, I would say the first part of it is correct. The only other group I would add to that are the vaccinated who are at extremes of age who may not have gotten boosted yet. Right. And we only know that we know mm -hmm. that only 50 percent of those over 65 have actually gotten their booster. And so we have to keep that group in mind, as well as those who may not be able to mount an antibody response or immune response. To your second point, people who received a booster, people who are healthy, you are very well protected from severe disease. And so, you know, uh, as you guys just did, a lot of people who are boosted are living in cities who are well vaccinated are asking this question of why do we have to, as, as Joe just said, shut down? I, I think that, you know, right. our good friend Ashisha put it well in his article when he said it, there's, there's this middle balance between, you know, indifference and, and you know, just... Uh, feeling like the world is over. And that's not, we're not there. We're not a square one. But we do need to thread the needle a little bit. And the reason why is because even though we well vaccinated are protected, boosted are protected since we're transmitting, and because the healthcare systems aren't as resilient right. as they were even a year ago, shortages in healthcare workers, you know, flu is here. It's higher than it was last year. We're already filled with Delta. Making sure that we all have access to hospitalization where we need it is one of the reasons where we might just want to put on those extra layers aside from vaccines, the, the masks and using that testing. Exactly. And, and that's really the middle road we're asking people who are vaccinated to take. Well, and that's where I wonder if if the bottom line is you're boosted, you're safe, you still could get a breakthrough, but you'll be OK, like the flu, potentially. And the flu does kill some people um, every year. So if you add the mask to that equation 
And I know that's very controversial, but booster and the mask when you're in very, very public places like a Times Square situation or walking into a crowded restaurant, isn't that pretty, isn't that as best you can do and possibly even foolproof? That's right. I, I think that that's exactly what we have to think about in the coming weeks. And, and it's really, it's not forever. It's just looking at the fact that this is a fast moving variant, Mika. When you see what it's done to South Africa, it's already, they're on there. The peak is off. They're, the you know, cases are going down. You're seeing Europe and other places where the cases are drastically going up, similar to what we're seeing here now. And, and it's the next mm -hmm. few weeks where, where you're seeing not just Omicron, but the lingerance of Delta, the fact that it's a winter season and the hospitals are generally full in the U.S., by the way, around this time of the year anyway, that we just need to take those extra measures to reduce the transmission so the virus doesn't find people who are vulnerable. During Delta, the people, the Delta wave, the people who are getting vaccinated, uh, people who are getting hospitalized were those who are not vaccinated and those who are vaccinated and vulnerable. And that's exactly what's happening now, but to a greater degree with a more transmissible variant is the, is the worry that, that's currently occurring. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad you, 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 you added in because I, I did not talk about that. Of course, if you've got both vaccines and you're boosted, uh, you should be in good shape. But if you're, or if you're older, if let's say you're a diabetic, if you have other immune challenges, obviously you have to take extra precautions. I just, I just, let's, let's throw this out here because right now <clears throat> Europe's basically uh, shut down Christmas for the year. I mean, uh, a lot of Christmas celebrations are being shut down. We're now, I, I know the mayor's talking about uh, what, what to do on New Year's Eve. But based on everything that we know, uh, based on the science, if my son asks me, hey, Dad, I want to go to New Year's Eve celebration outside. And um, he's had both vaccines. He's been boosted. And he wants to wear a mask. His decision. Do I not say to him, you're in pretty good shape, buddy? Go ahead. Yeah, Joe, you and I have actually talked about this. The outdoors tend to be a lot safer than indoors. You know, to me, it's always, is it safer versus less safe rather than is it safe versus not? And and an outdoor space in a really highly vaccinated city where everybody's also taking those extra layers, that is a much safer scenario. It, this is a more transmissible variant, you know, and so you have to sort of look at what's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is he may get a breakthrough infections, but as you said, he would be very well protected against the situation severe disease, you know, and, 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 but, but even then, you know, I think all those layers that you mentioned, one other layer that he could add is potentially getting tested before going into that crowd, getting a rapid test. If, if they're available, I hear New York city is really, really having a lot <laughs> it's of tough. around that, but, yeah. Um, yeah. but that would be the extra layer of maybe reducing chances of anybody who might be transmitting coming into that crowd. There you go. Dr. Nahid Bedelia, as always, thank you very much for coming on the show this morning. And, and, and I want to underline, too, Mika, um, uh, what Dr. Ja had, had, had talked about as far as schools go. This is no time to shut down schools. Again, you look at the numbers, you look at uh, the number of vaccinated, uh, you, you, you look at the mental health challenges that our children have been faced with, uh, as we understandably had a lot of schools that were shut down in 2020. That's certainly understood. Uh, but we're beyond that point now. And it's the same thing again. I mean, the madness. Think about this. And Alex and I were talking about this before. Um, the madness uh, of 
opening restaurants all over New York City uh, and all over the country. The madness of having casinos open, the madness of having uh, uh, all these sports centers opened up. Bakeries. And by the way, they should be opened up. Bakeries, candy stores, Eddie Gloud, you name it. It's open. And I'm glad it's open. And it needs to stay open. People wearing masks. There are people who obviously, small business owners who have suffered immeasurably through this, uh, just as as, as others have suffered. But the idea that that we're going to keep everything open but shut down schools? It just doesn't make sense. Well, that's true. Um, You know, I I mean, we have to be mindful that over 800,000 people are dead, that by the end of the first Mm -hmm. quarter of the, the, some of the predictions is that by the end of the first quarter of 2022, uh, we will be at a million. Uh, I must admit my Christmas holiday has been interrupted. Uh, we've had yes, a breakthrough infection, a breakthrough infection mm-hmm. uh, in my own household. So I won't be visiting my mom and dad because I want to protect them. And so there is right. a sense, you know, we talk about panic and anxiety when we talk about the market, Joe, and how it could spook the market. And we don't know exactly what that is. There is a palpable sense of, of, of worry and concern, I think, in the country about Omicron. And I understand you are always the optimist, always hopeful. But here I am in, in my own experience now, uh, and I'm, I'm deeply worried, not only as a parent, but also as a professor, uh, as a teacher. Uh, and I know what happened at Princeton when we had to go remote for our, 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 our final mm. exams for oh. our students. Um, so I'm, I'm deeply concerned, although I understand your optimism and, and, and your hopefulness, Joe. Well, it, it, it's mainly, it's just mainly, uh, just let's put our heads down and move forward and Use science uh, and look what science tells us. And uh, I do think, uh, Mika, the next couple of weeks are going to be uh, challenging for people. Uh, I will say there's a huge difference, though, isn't there? Because, Mika, we've heard so many people we know, people in our neighborhood, people, uh, good friends, close friends uh, that have uh, that that have this virus now. Uh, and uh, and uh, people have got friends, neighbors whose entire offices have been shut down because COVID has just swept through it, the o- o- Omicron variant. The difference, though, the difference in attitude, and it's it's it's. It's a good thing uh, is, you know, people aren't worried that it's a death sentence. Right. They, they, if they've been vaccinated and they've been boosted, they understand there may be some discomfort and they don't want it to spread. But they're kind of like, OK, well, we'll just keep our head down. Yeah. We'll keep marching on. We'll get through this. Uh, and, uh, and we've it, learned how to yeah, do this. We've learned how to do this. And I do want to state again, because I don't want to seem too glib about this. If if you're older, if you have uh, if you have. Uh, underlying conditions. Underlying conditions. Like one of my sons has an underlying condition. It's different. I, uh, we, I, I, I have got one son that I wouldn't say, hell yeah, go to New Year's Eve in New York City. I'd say, hey, let's watch it on TV. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to take it as it comes. But overall, as a country, uh, we need we need to keep moving forward. We need to listen to science and medicine. We need to keep our schools open. Uh, and damn it, if the restaurants are open, and if, uh, you know, the, the arenas are open and if the candy stores are open and the bakeries are open and if the bars are open and the casinos are open, at some point, maybe we can have our offices yeah, get reopened. Yeah, just get a vaccine mandate. I'm very concerned. Open the doors. Very concerned about younger workers. Yeah. Younger workers need them. the socialization. Younger workers need the guidance. 
younger workers need a helping hand. And I see a difference in them already. I mean, this has been extremely hard for their ability to grow and to connect in the workplace. I mean, it's just, it's hypocritical if you're going out to dinner and you're doing your shopping and you're wearing a mask and you're fine with that, but you're not comfortable enough to come to work and sit in an office space where you have enough space between people, you can wash your hands, you can use hand sanitizer, and you can wear a mask just like you do in stores and restaurants. This well, doesn't make sense. But they don't wear, a, in New York at least, no masks and rec. You walk in in a mask. Because there's a vaccine uh, mandate. You show your vaccine card, you sit down, you take off your mask to eat, you put it back on to walk out. Same thing with bars. I mean, people going hard. to bars, not wearing masks. I think, I think we need to start being concerned, again, with schools, keep them open. And we need to start being concerned about younger workers, uh, making sure that they get the helping hand, they get the mentorship that they need. Yeah. And also, in the isolation, it, it, we, are, we are, as a people, we are communal. In the isolation, uh, at some point, it's just, again, in New York City, it's particularly maddening because the place is still open for business, except in office spaces. 